The knights really are drawing in now, aren't they? Even with the fire roaring, I still find that the inn has its cold spots. Isn't that how they say you can tell the spirits nearby? With cold spots and shivers down the spine. <laughs> Superstitious nonsense, no doubt. I'd like to put some of the stories I've gotten this week down to superstition. But there's something about the look in my patrons' eyes as they tell me their tales, which hints at a terrible truth. Perhaps you'll like to take a listen and see if you can find the truth in them yourself. The profession of a psychologist is not one to take lightly. They are there to treat the trauma of the mind, to listen to the woes and terrors which the brain can conjure up. No doubt they were here of terrible and dark things. But what can be said when the terror is a single pink rabbit? As a decorated psychologist, I have long scoffed at the notion of a collective mind where reposes the whole of human experiences past and present. I can imagine no other origin of the danger to which I bring to your attention. What is this dire threat I must warn you about? It is nothing less than a pink bunny. In the course of my work, I have run across a number of cases involving the aforementioned creature. It attached itself to the poor, doomed souls I once thought suffered only from prosaic maladies of the mind. I believe the creature had, for a small while, contained itself to a town whose name I will not give here, though I will say it is a place with a long history for producing the insane. While the initial symptoms that each victim exhibited showed little in common, the later stages of their harrowing became quite uniform. In each case, the victim came to believe that a pink bunny was watching them, speaking to them, calling out to them to follow it. And in every case, their final destination, which I now suspect does not actually exist upon or even within the solid earth, was a blood-spattered rabbit hole dug crudely into the earth. Here is an excerpt from one of my patient interviews, which outlines some of the final stages of the unearthly rabbit's unique brand of psychic entrapment. It wants me to follow it into the earth, where rainbows sleep within brightly wrapped holiday boxes where the pretty little daydreams of tiny children shelter from the night. Its eyes are like sugar, and they look at me glistening with sweets and smiles. Oh, I just want to hold it in my arms, stroke its pink fur, and tell it how much I love it. But I thought you were afraid of the pink bunny. Oh, not anymore. I know that he loves me. It wants me to come live with it in the land of sugar, where everything is as sweet, as special as can be. How will you travel into the earth to live in this magical place? There's a hole. There's a hole it travels through. You can hear it calling to me from inside. It wants me to go home with it. I thought this hole was covered in blood. I was wrong. It's not blood. It's pink cotton candy. I think it would be best if you waited just a little bit longer before you left with your friend. I'm sure the rabbit will wait for you. It does love you after all. I think it would want you to finish your therapy so you can be well again. 
You wouldn't want to be unwell for your travels, would you? Uh, Bunny said you would ask me to stay. He even gave me a message to give you if you tried to stop me. He told me to say, Only the meanest man alive would keep my friend away from all these wonderful goodies. And I don't like meanies at all, not one little bit. I've been watching you, Mr. Meanie. And I have a mind to come see you soon. You just might hear me some night digging up through the dirt. I'll come for you, and I'll take you away with me. I'll bring you to another place that isn't so sweet at all. Not one little bit. Now, as a man of science, I was obligated to treat the bunny's threat with much skepticism. I was duty-bound to put aside my discomfort and recognize the creature as nothing more than a migrant bit of contemporary folklore, mad bit of detritus adrift upon the collective subconscious of the world, riding the waves of dark popular culture and social media, lodging itself into the brains of those most prone to blur the boundaries between reality and fantasy. This is what I assumed was behind the Pink Bunny recurrence, so continued to encourage my patient to resist the temptation to go down the rabbit hole. And I have only my academic elitism and concomitant snobbery to blame for the death of my patient. I should have done more. I should have believed more. Hours after a particularly long session with my patient, who finally gave into my protest that he avoid the rabbit hole, I returned late in the evening and immediately retired to bed. My dreams... My dreams were filled with a terrible dragging sound, which slowly disappeared beneath the heavy wailing. The shrieks they drew nearer, but also seemed to pass somewhere beneath me. At some point, I woke up, covered in sweat, and I realized the sounds did not originate from the dream, but instead were coming from my own basement. Where the dream had been vague regarding the source of the wailing, solid reality was not. It was my patient calling out to me for help. I rushed down into the basement, having no idea what to expect, hoping against hope I was still asleep. Even after having reached the lowest point in my home, the sounds somehow retained a degree of distance. I stayed perfectly still and quiet so as to pinpoint the location of the screams. They were coming from somewhere beyond, or slightly beneath one of the basement walls. My palms upon the cold stone of the partition, I traced them until they intersected a narrow, filthy crawl space that stretched far beneath my basement. I watched with doubtful sanity as a small hole appeared in its distant recesses, and I nearly died from fright when something pink and fuzzy began picking through the debris of the collapsed tunnel. The diminutive being was revealed only for a second, and the dim glow of one solitary bulb. The creature had no place upon the earth, much less in my basement. It was an unholy rabbit itself, dragging my screaming patient through a maze of underground tunnels. The thing was the size of a child and the color of cotton candy, and it smelled like the sugary dreams of children. There was a primal, sinister sweetness to its tiny little smile, which it offered just before digging a hole to the other side of the crawl space. It's little paws, a blur of frenetic activity. 
directly after the rabbit transferred his screaming cargo from one tunnel into another, stuffing the sobbing man into the subterranean darkness, the way one would pack a sleeping bag into a washer. The creature turned and spoke to me. All but its burning pink eyes were invisible beneath the low hang of a thick shadow. I don't like to make them come with me, Mr. Meany. It ruins the fun of the trip. You didn't give me a choice, now did you? Don't make me visit you again, Mr. Meany. Next time, it will be you. Its voice was cartoonish, just like its appearance, but its saccharine tones and pink exterior hit a monster of illimitable foulness, serving only to emphasize its stark, terrible departure from all solid and sane reality. I fainted to the shrieking sounds of my patient being dragged away to the incomparable land of sugar. The pink bunny is, I think, a living hallucination, an awakened figment brought to life by a million fevered imaginations. It has since burrowed deep into the recesses of humanity's collective unconscious and now awaits to be encountered by those minds capable of witnessing it. What it does with these poor souls, I do not know, but I suspect the worst. I will soon quit my practice and spend the remainder of my years looking on only the soundest of sights, for I have absolutely no desire to court an invitation to the land of sugar. Should you ever encounter the pink bunny, for those who speak of it, never, no matter how much you may want to, follow it down into the earth. Childhood fears are something we grow out of, usually. There can be some so terrifying, so deeply buried in our psyche, that we cannot simply let go of them. But could it be that these fears are self-feeding from our own imagination, making them real in the process? Or are they truly real? There's a skeleton in my closet. Or something worse. Not in the figurative sense, either. I've always been simultaneously fascinated and terrified by the horror genre. I stayed afraid of the dark up to an unreasonable age. And even still as a young adult, I feel very on edge walking through a dark house at night. With little sounds and lots of shadow. This only relates to indoors. Dark streets are fine, oddly enough. Maybe because in dark houses there are corners and familiar spaces that seem not as they should be. I think that's one of the most creepy things that can happen. When a safe, familiar place suddenly seems not so safe or familiar. I guess what's been happening is a little like that. Though I've been scouring the internet for a logical explanation and I'm still hard-pressed to find anything that can explain to me what's been happening. So, this kind of begins when I was a kid. We moved around a lot. The financial crisis of the 90s had just hit, we lost our home, and bounced around between rental properties for a while before finally buying a home a few years later. Because we'd been stretched thin for so long, we had lots of furniture and electronics, including this massive old black TV 
that I swear could crush a person if it ever fell. It was so old that whenever we moved houses, plugging it into the airport and setting up the channels was a bit of a quest and a massive pain in the ass. By the time we got around to programming the channels to the remote buttons, we'd fudged most of it. 90s Australian free-to-air television consisted of only a handful of channels. SBS, ABC, 7, 9, 10, and 31. Don't ask me about naming conventions. We're almost as bad as Microsoft. But then there were up to 10 buttons for channels on the remote, so we'd just double up some of them. Remember this for later. Anyway, back to kid me. <laughs> I was easily scared. I hated the dark. I had to cover my eyes in the last scene of Raiders of the Lost Ark. People would reasonably think that I would want to stay away from anything generally considered scary. Or in the horror pile. And my parents were fairly overprotective too. So I usually got sent out of the room or to bed the moment anything vaguely scary or horror-related was on. But I adored Are You Afraid of the Dark? The show was on at the same time where I could watch it on school holidays, or if I was homesick. But man, I loved it. I'm sure at least some of you would remember it. A load of kids eternally trapped in early 90s fashion choices, sitting perpetually around a campfire, telling each other scary stories. I think I enjoyed it because the stories weren't always so horrifying. Some had good endings. Some had twist endings. And I always had the remotes readily in hand, so if anything ever scared me too much, I could just flip the channels and everything would be fine. That was up until one particular episode. It stopped me watching the show completely. And sometimes, I wonder if it is somehow the root cause of everything that's happened since. This episode was about a boy and his mother moving into a new house. The house has this uh, washer and dryer in the basement, along with the strange old radio that had been there when they moved in. See, the boy would turn the radio on when he did the laundry, and something weird would happen. The radio would flip into this mysterious channel, and when it did, a closet door in the basement would react to the music. It would open, and something behind it would always be trying to lure the boy into that room. A man in circus gear, a pretty china doll, a skeleton. When the door flung open and the skeleton was there, I freaked out. I was fairly young and skeletons were pretty terrifying to me. I instantly fumbled for the remote and changed the channel. Same thing. I had another button. Same thing again. I button mashed. It wouldn't go away. Each channel was the same show, each channel that same menacing, mocking skeleton filling the frame. Eventually I turned the TV off, threw the remote down and ran out of the room. I never watched Are You Afraid of the Dark again. Later on I tried to explain the story away to myself internally. I had clearly just pressed the buttons that the same channel was mapped to. This was enough to calm me down in short term, <laughs> but not enough to comfort me in the long run. That night I slept with my reading light on, back pressed against the wall, staring at the built-in closet on the other side of my room. It took the better part of a year for me to stop sleeping with that light on. I graduated instead to the hall light outside my bedroom staying on, shutting into my room through the half-closed door. This lasted for years. I'm almost embarrassed to say. I couldn't sleep with my back to the closet. 
In fact, I shifted my bed specifically so that I could sleep facing both the bedroom door and the closet without needing to shift my gaze. And I always felt a small jolt of fear if I woke up facing the wall. To make matters worse, over the years, the latch on my closet door got a little stiff. So if it wasn't completely closed firmly, sometimes it would open on its own accord. It scared the living daylights out of me the first few times. I had mostly grown out of this fear by the time I hit 18 or 19 years old. It had a brief comeback when I started playing horror video games, and then one of this had a little girl that crawled specifically out of the closets with sliding doors to get at you. I didn't sleep well for two weeks after that, and not without a relay on. Then I settled again. Life went on. Years went by. I developed a love for horror and some of my clothes had skeleton prints on them. So, more or less, I eventually made it to the world of adulthood, without the phobias I'd grown up with. The last two houses I lived in after moving out of my folks, though, didn't have closets in them, so you never know. Not too long ago, Are You Afraid of the Dark popped up in my Netflix feed. I considered rewatching it for nostalgia's sake, but didn't really get around to it. Not out of fear. I was pretty busy working at the time for a large gaming company. I had just recently moved into a new house after parting with my long-term partner. It's an older house, a little run down, but I'm living with one of my closest friends and her partner, so it's been pretty great. Only thing is, this house is a little pokey, with not much storage space, and the room I took in had no built-in closet for clothes. For a little while, I used a standing rack and stored some stuff in cupboards elsewhere in the house, but eventually it became evident that I needed a proper functioning wardrobe and even some extra doors wouldn't hurt. One Ikea trip later and I had my hands on a trisel. I asked my dad to come over to help me build it. It took half a day. My dad liked to jump ahead of the instructions so we made a few mistakes. But come nightfall, I had a new wardrobe. When dad was fixing it to the wall of my room, opposite the bed, he had a little bit of a chuckle and gave me a meaningful look. I asked what was so funny, and he went, I remember how long we had to keep the hall light on because you were scared of your cupboard. I rolled my eyes. Rub it in, Dad. Dad's a big believer that it's the real things out there in the world that you should be afraid of, not monsters in closets or under beds. He wasn't massively understanding of my childhood fears, even though we can joke about it nowadays. Are you sure you want this this close to your bed? He asked teasingly, gesturing to the meter of space between the closet and the end of the bed. The monsters could probably reach you without even getting out. Well, I can't put it anywhere else, and it's a narrow room. I said, a little surprised at how defensive I abruptly felt. I realized quietly to myself that I wasn't massively happy that the closet doors would be so close to my face while I slept, and I guess the feeling was a little embarrassing. The doors slid open and shut too, just like the closets in the game with the ghost girl. Yeah, no, I, I wasn't having any of that. I refused to let myself be scared of such a preposterous thing in my 20s. Dad laughed with a pat on the back, and I spent the rest of the night moving my clothes from the rack to the closet. Games and more clothes to the drawers fucked around online a bit, and then went to bed. I am a very light sleeper. I tend to need a decent amount of quiet or white noise to even be able to settle, and any kind of other movement in bed is enough to wake me, which can suck especially when you're sharing with someone. So when I woke up later that night to the feel of weight resting somewhere on the edge of the bed, for a moment, my mind out, and I thought I was back at my ex's place, and he was getting up early for work. Darren, I called out sleepily, rolling over, Found you, a voice cooed back, one that I entirely did not recognize. I sat bolt upright, 
I could feel my heart slamming against my chest, but it was too dark to see anything. Without turning, my hand fumbled out to the side, haphazardly searching for the switch to my reading lamp. It took a terrible, terrible, awful amount of time to find, but when I finally flicked the light on, there was nothing. Just my room, my shelves, my computer, my closet. Perhaps out of habit, a habit long since ingrained in me since a child, I side-eyed the cupboard. Apart from the right-hand door being a little open, it looked normal enough. I remember noting it was strange for me to leave one of the doors a little ajar, considering my childhood phobia, but nothing struck out as me as odd until after I laid back down and turned the light off. I swear, not too long before I drifted to sleep again, I heard the sound of a door being carefully tugged shut the rest of the way. I don't remember checking that morning to see if the door was shut or not. I didn't think about what happened much at all. Actually, I must have written off as a dream or potentially overhearing the neighbors. Logical explanation, all that. A few weeks later, something happened again, which I disregarded completely until I started recently piecing things together. I'd been up most of the night, which happens frequently to me as I work better at night, and also get bouts of insomnia. It was already a tiny bit light outside my window by the time I laid my head down. When I did, I heard a strange sound. At first, I assumed it was a bird outside my window. It sounded a lot like something clicking their tongue chiddlingly, though. Little occurrences like this began to stack up. When I was sleeping regularly, I'd keep waking up around 3, 4 a.m., most of the time not knowing what had disturbed my sleep. Sometimes I would hear the end of something. Some kind of gasp or other sound. Not enough to make out exactly what it was. Sometimes I would get the feeling that my bed had been disturbed, or wake up in the morning with things not where I left them. A book that had been on my bedside was now across the room, or my meds were not always on the shelf where I kept them. The figurines I had on the top of my shelf rearranged. I know that the most too common response of this could be it was either my housemates, or I've just forgotten where I put things. Well, my housemates don't have this kind of humor. We respect each other's personal spaces and we're too old for that kind of shit. As for forgetting things, I do have a terrible memory. But when I fall asleep reading a book and in the morning it's across the room, or on my computer desk with the pages all bent, I'm pretty sure that's not my memory. Anyway, I don't think what happened next could be attributed to my housemates or my memory. I woke up again, in the dark around 3 or 4 a.m., so the feeling of being watched. You know how that is. The sixth sense that helps you find out who's staring at you on public transport. Or the sixth sense that you ignore when you know your teacher's gaze is boring into you, tr still trying to get your attention. I couldn't see anything. I had no idea what might be watching me, only that I felt I should stay very still. My eyes were wide, wide open, as I tried to will them to become accustomed to the darkness. And eventually, that was when I noticed something in my cupboard staring back out at me. Staring isn't the right word. It can't be the right word. Because you need eyes to stare and it didn't have those. But I swear it still saw me. At first I thought it was some kind of mask. But I realized quickly with a terrible knife in the heart that it was a skull. A fucking human skull. Staring at me through a slit in the door. The moment I realized what had been looking at me. The cupboard snapped shut. I immediately turned the light on, because the light makes the world safe. Somehow the room always felt safe in the light. I don't know what compelled me to do so, but 
but I launched across the small space between the bed and the cupboard and opened the fucker right up. It wasn't there. Nothing out of the ordinary, just my clothes and shoes. I'm losing it, I thought. Or there was something going on that I couldn't rightly explain. I stayed up the rest of the night. The following days were... hard. I napped during the day to make up for sheer refusal of sleep, and I relied heavily on my ADD meds to keep me awake and functioning. I became aware of this creeping feeling of dread as I remembered back to the first night of owning that cupboard, and then on Sentinel, found you, like some kind of kitty game being played without my knowledge or permission. Somehow, it had been brought into my house. It had known me once, then lost me, then found me. I felt, I feel this to be true. Piggybacked on my dad to get here and find me? No, that, that couldn't be right. It wasn't like I'd never been back to my folks' place since moving out. But then, that brought up the question of my original fear. If this really was happening, what was to say something hadn't actually been going in my walk-in wardrobe as a kid? Something I'd maybe forgotten the details of. I caught up for coffee with my mom soon after to ask her about it. This was about a couple weeks ago. She has a memory like an elephant, and she tried pulling a few things up right away. used to have these horrible nightmares, she recalled. I'd wake up and see you standing like a ghost in the doorway of our room, or at the foot of our bed. You used to scare the crap out of me. You wanted to get into your bed and you'd cry if we tried to make you go back, saying you were scared. One time, she continued, looking a little morbid, your father was really tired from work and he snapped at you. You know how he could be. Scared? What are you scared of? This is our house, our home, it's safe. And you said the dead man in the cupboard, he won't leave me alone, the dead man. I swear to God, Sal. We had a collective heart attack. I felt sick and like I couldn't breathe. Mom went on to describe how they both thought a man was sneaking into her house and hiding in my closet to scare or abuse me. They searched the whole house, checked all the doors and windows and obviously my cupboard. The next day, both me and my mom, unsure whether it was going to reassure me or for safety, dad put a new lock on the fly screen in my bedroom window and a new closing mechanism on the cupboard door so that it'd stop opening in the night if it hadn't been shut properly. I had no memory of this. Apparently, my fear hadn't gone away completely, but worse was over and I started sleeping better on my own. My mom laughed at the story and how sensitive a child I'd been, how much they used to worry about my big imagination. I forced a smile and tried really hard not to vomit at the table. I knew what a skeleton was at that age, and I hadn't said skeleton, I said dead man. I knew kid me. And it was an oddly specific thing to say rather than the usual ghost, zombie, or vampire that it would have been if I latched onto some scary imagery from the TV show or book. It suggested some kind of prior knowledge. That night, I sat cross-legged on my bed, facing my cupboard, then asked, Dead man, what do you want? Nothing happened and I felt like an idiot. Against my better judgment and desires, I reached and turned the bedside light off. I sat in the darkness, shivering and asked again, Dead man, what do you want? Nothing again, bigger idiot. Against further better judgment, I took something to help me sleep that night. The following I can't honestly tell you if it's 100% real or not. I get pretty lucid dreams when I take medicine to fall asleep, and it's rare that anything can wake me when I've been knocked out by it. I remember being poked and prodded awake. Specifically, something jabbing at my shoulder and chest. 
I sat up and, and reached for my light, but I couldn't find the cord. Then I registered that weight at the end of my bed again, and I froze, desperately trying to clear my vision. I was hella groggy from the meds, but sobering up fast at the feel of something most definitely there, watching me. It started leaning towards me. I felt whatever it was touch the end of the bed with both hands and lean over, its neck craning forward, like it was staring hard right back at me with these big black saucers for eye holes. I crawled back against the wall, feeling delirious, and I remember sobering and moaning for it to leave me alone, feeling its breath hitting my face. That's the moment that is the reason I'm not 100% sure this was a dream. I recall so vividly the rank, musty breath hitting my cheek. The next thing I remember I was waking up to light and sound, in the lounge room. One of my housemates had come in with a bowl of cereal and was confused to see me there. It looked like I grabbed all my bedding and dumped it on the couch with me. We sat down with T and I told her everything. I felt like a moron, but I was overtired and shaking and stumbling over my words. I, I can't go back in there, I stuttered. It's in there, I, I can't sleep. I think it watches when I sleep. I, I think it's waiting for something. I am not crazy. I need to burn that goddamn closet. I can go from one to 11 pretty fast. Jay patted my back and said that there were some things we could try first before resorting to arson. She's a semi-practicing Wiccan, so the first thing she did was smudge my room. She waved a burning chunk of white sage around. I stood in the doorway of the room, wrapped in my little felt kitten blanket, acting sullen and like a stranger. I was standing on the border and feeling this was ridiculous, and silently hoping it would work. Then she tried to cleanse the cupboard itself. From what I knew about this kind of magic, needing to cleanse an object is usually only something needed for old or second-hand items and furniture. It was extremely odd to me that something from Ikea's basic catalog could have some old spirit attached to it. It doesn't sound like it's attached to the cupboard, though, Jay said, then hesitated. I don't want to freak you out, but it sounds like it came to the cupboard, but it's attached to you, or has latched onto you again after somehow being disconnected. So my dad did bring it to me, I asked quietly. I think you brought it back, Sal. Belief is a really powerful thing. It can make something from nothing and can influence energy. And you have a lot of belief in this thing. It's kind of what you're like in general, actually. You give your thoughts a lot of power and emotion. She said it was why she liked me so much. But the compliment kind of fell flat in the wake of such an awful concept of me bringing life to this fucking thing. You're not telling me that my overactive imagination is literally the cause of this, are you? That seemed completely ridiculous and made complete sense at the same time. She just shrugged. I don't know. We'll just have to see how things go after this. But just in case, try real hard to believe that this is going to work. The whole thing was done in an hour and a half. Today she didn't really get a feel of anything in my cupboard, but that something was off about my bed. She smudged it. I stripped it and washed all the sheets and she smudged the fresh sheets again. I tried, like she said, pretty hard to believe that it had worked, and the subtle, comforting scent of the sage on the crisp beach did help a little bit. As night drew near, though, another plan occurred to me, something I thought was smart at the time, and I really, really wish I'd second-guessed. I spent a while thinking about this belief-has-power concept. It was interesting to me, on a psychological level, as well as a spiritual one. And definitely something I'd thought about before, but never in the context of beating a skeleton that might have been lurking in my closet, trying to scare the life out of me. 
As for kidney, it felt even more accurate. I used to believe in things really, really hard. I tricked myself into thinking things were real that weren't. When I was scared in bed at night and thought there was a dead man in my closet, I really, truly believed it. Like I mentioned before, I have ADD, but I was undiagnosed as a kid, so my emotional regulation was non-existent, and I just feel fear and upset and horror so easily. I thought I could fight fire with fire. If my beliefs and imagination were giving this thing life, maybe my beliefs and imagination could steal it the fuck away too. It was such a smart idea, I thought to myself. I was convinced it would work, that I'd just given myself the upper hand through intellect alone. I got out some green and black paint, and on my still, like, new cupboard drawers, I drew an elder sign, one of the many versions thereof, green with a black border. I even did the type around the edge, though I don't really recall what it means. The elder sign is from Lovecraft and Lore, something I delight in frequently, or did up until recently, at least. In general, it's considered a kind of protective seal, and it's used to seal off a portal to the other realm or old gods themselves. It looked kind of menacing, looming over my bed like that, and was visible even in the dark, but I felt oddly safer with it there, which I hoped meant it would work. All was quiet until 2am, at which point I was woken up by a loud bang. I instantly knew where it was coming from, banging, scratching, rattling from within the cupboard, but apart from the shaking on the rails with each hit, the doors didn't budge open. I crab-crawled across the bed and pressed myself into the cupboard, but by the time I got there, the shaking had stopped and the room was quiet. In the dark, I heard something akin to an old man's final gasp for air. Then, nothing. It sounded almost pitiful. I could have imagined it, I'm sure. I'm sure I didn't. The next day felt good. I hadn't slept much but I felt like I'd be sleeping better again soon. And my bedroom, for the first time, felt safe again. I proudly told my housemate about the smart move I'd made, using my imagination against the damn thing, and how it was never bothering me again apart from maybe a few rattles here or there. And maybe if I believed hard enough in the seal, it would eventually fudge off completely. I felt empowered. I no longer cared what the dead man wanted with me, because I'd taken control and he wasn't fucking getting it now. Jay's reaction struck me as strange. She went quiet. Then she went a little pale. Then she muttered something about work to do and shuffled off. We didn't talk much over the next few days until she came to my door, pensive, eyeing up the cupboard. What's wrong? I frowned over at her from the edge of my computer. Did something happen? She asked. What did you say the Elder Sign works on? I replied without pause, interdimensional portals, and the words died on my lips. Last night, I heard it laughing at me from inside the cupboard, and I swear this time when it cooed, found you. The voice was bigger, deeper, and older. <laughs> I can see by your pale features that you've heard enough for tonight. I wouldn't want you to drop dead out of fright now. Not when you're one of my most valued customers. <laughs> Be careful on the way home, will you? And just a suggestion. Maybe keep an eye out for any pink rabbits. 
And now it's announcement time. Before we see you leave, I'd like to take a moment and thank the people who've provided their voices to read these horror tales. Along with everyone else who's been involved with bringing the horror to life here at the Cursed Inn. And we'd like to send a special thank you to our partners at Myotopia for lending their stories to the Cursed Inn. You can find more about them on our descriptions page. If you're a writer and you think your story is sinister enough to be featured on our podcast, or if you'd like to volunteer as a voice actor, send us your demo at thecursedin at gmail.com, and we'll see if you have what it takes to scare our daily guests at the Cursed Inn. And don't forget to check out our page on Facebook and Twitter for updates. We'll see you very, very soon. Mm-hmm.